1: They do want Ron now, they do want Ron. With the ink not even dry on City fans' CR7 tattoos, he's back instead at Old Trafford. We get the hows, the whys, the whos of the second coming of Cristiano. Meanwhile, United scrape by at Wolves, who have a large manager, but discover that size isn't everything. We get the word on Man City Arsenal, Liverpool Chelsea, the latest transfer talk, and more in this totally formal show in association with Paddy Ballard. Monday the thirtieth of August, and uh, hello, listener. Do, do join me in offering a big, totally welcome to our guests today, who are Daniel Story of the I. Hello, James. Adam Crafton of the Athletic. Hello. And David Priest of top of League One Sunderland Football Club. Boom. All right, David. How are you doing, James? Yeah, pretty good actually. You're keeping a lid. And all that raw excitement because you're living the dream, you know, with your club, top of the league, your dream job. Now you're a goalkeeping coach at Sunderland. Yeah,
2: but been in there about a month now, so it's um, I could have done with a couple of weeks before the season started, to be honest, to to get my feet on the table because it's been as it is in the AFL, pretty uh, pretty hectic stuff. Saturday, Tuesday, but um, yeah, I'm loving every minute of it actually.
1: Right. What was what was the first thing that you did when you came in? You ripped up the, your predecessor's wrong thinking.
2: I mean, probably the first thing I did was to walk into a wrong door or walk the wrong way. It's a, it's a pretty cavernous place around the Stadium of Light and, uh, and around the training ground, so it took me a while to get used
1: to that. OK. I, uh, many viewers will be familiar with the, the cavernous nature of the Stadium of Light from Sunderland till I, I die. Perhaps we can hear a little bit more about that and whether you'll be featuring in any forthcoming series later on. Uh, but congrats anyway. Uh, Daniel, what would be your dream job?
3: Uh, I'll be incredibly twee and say I've, I've probably got it, I think. Um, really? Writing about football without having to do the hard yards like Adam does of, of actually getting the stories. I just get to offer my opinion on it, which is very much the easy end of the, of the bargain.
1: Is it the hard yards, Adam?
4: Um, I don't think so. Maybe, maybe. Um, All right. I was, just thinking, I was thinking what my dream job was. Um, and my dream job is actually um, to be sort of a judge on a talent show because it feels like possibly the easiest job um, in the world where you just sit and judge people and tell them if they're good or bad, which is basically what we do anyway. Yeah, I was just going
1: to say, let's do some of that. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Brilliant. Looking forward to your scores on on a whole variety of performers from this weekend in the Premier League and also some of those hard yards you've been putting in on the absolutely massive transfer stories that have come our way in the last day or two. We'll begin, though, with the scores. Saturday lunchtime, Man City sent Arsenal bottom of the league with a 5-0 beating at the Etihad. Elsewhere that day, Liverpool were held 1-1 by 10-man Chelsea. There were draws two for Newcastle, denied the three points in the 96th minute. ..by a Southampton penalty. Villa and Brentford also ending all-square, as did West Ham and Crystal Palace. Palace, though, getting their first goals of the season. Down south, Everton ended Brighton's excellent start, winning 2-0 at the Amex while out east. Leicester won away to a spirited Norwich side. On Sunday, Spurs beat Watford 1-0. Hyung min Son, the scorer, not the prodigal one. Uh, Burnley Leeds ended 1-1. And Man United somehow won at Wolves. We'll discuss that very shortly... The table, good thing no one looks at the table after just three games because if they did, they would see Spurs top and Arsenal bottom. That's the first time that's ever happened in top flight history. You've had Spurs top and Arsenal bottom. Arsenal yet to score a goal this season. Spurs yet to concede. Remarkable. Any thoughts on the return of the Kane?
3: That is huge for, for Tottenham, obviously. He got a really good reception, but... I think it, it's more the kind of headline news is not that Tottenham are top of the league, but that Nuno has, has done this very pragmatically as is what his want with with one arm time behind his back. You know, Christian Romero, I think, has played one minute. Brian Hill has played two minutes. Um, he's had the Kane situation to manage. He's brought back in, you know, he's brought Skip in after his Norwich loan. He's brought Deli Alley back in to start games and... And it's not pretty to watch. And they've got quite lucky against Manchester City and certainly against Wolves. But who cares when you're winning 1-0, I suppose.
1: Mm, Big old from uh, Young Min Son, as we say, uh, with a free kick that kind of made its way past everybody and nestled comfortably in the net. All right. Well, uh, slightly later on, on Sunday, there was another 1-0 win. This one for Man United, away at Molyneux, making it 28 games on the road unbeaten. For the Red Devils, the scorer in this case was Mason Greenwood. After what seemed like about 80 minutes of Wolves' chances, can you make some sense of this game for us, Adam or David?
4: Yeah, um, it was a very weird game because I mean Wolves were by, you know, by far the better team. Certainly, the first half had the better chances, both first half and second half. Man United didn't actually really create a clear chance in the game. Even the goal was, you know, sort of a half chance. I think it was a shot. I think Jamie Carragher said on commentary it was it was more of a cross. Um, United were poor, but they they won the game. It's a sort. Yeah, you know, it was one of those games where if United midway through that second half, if that um, Roman Saiz chance goes in and they lose that game one 0 or two 0 there's massive question marks against them. After you know losing this one and then drawing against Southampton, and now all of a sudden people are saying, well, they stuck in there and it's. Is it the mark of champions to win a game like that when the you know when the backs are against the wall and you've got Ronaldo coming in? So it was a big one for them to win before the international break, just in terms of shaping the mood of the season. thought Rafael Varane was a big plus for them. De Gea, big plus for them. Looks like he's got his confidence back to a certain extent. A few minutes for Sancho and obviously Greenwood is just getting stronger and stronger.
1: Mm. What did you make of De Gea, David?
4: Yeah, I think sometimes it just it just shows
2: the the fragility of confidence. Where that, you know, there's obviously from out, outside and and maybe sometimes inside the club, there's there's a lack of confidence in the hair himself. But I think um, you know after the game, you could see that that save that he made in the game, which is it's allowed them to, to go on and win the game. Obviously, the the the, the initial save, it's you know it's straight at him and it just hits him. But the the second is is remarkable in. Uh, in in being just an instinct of save going, you know, say guessing, but it, it's um it, it's going off his past experiences of been being those positions he you know, he flings himself to his left and gets a hand on it. And I said it, it allows him to go on and win the game. But I, I mean I, I don't know whether I prescribed it to the to the fact that it it was a cr- more of a cross than a shot from Greenwood. But it certainly leads me to, to to go into the old cliche about everything in the forward line matters. And that's the difference between the the two teams. And especially at this level there's a great deal of investment gone into into united and you can see the difference there and, and i think it's a it's one of those where it's he, he looks to to drag it across the goal if it's across it's across if it's a if it's a goal even better you know but also the there, there is some question marks over over sars um inability to save the ball i think going on to you know to the brighton game and, and robert sanchez was a similar sort of situation you know it just shows the Rather than any technique being used, it's first it's about decision making and the decision to, to to put in whichever technique is is best for for making the save. And I think in the both of them, both chose the different uh, a different way of saving the ball and should have done the opposite to each other. You know, saw maybe should have done with his foot. It's on a tight angle. You know, he knows he hasn't got to go, have a big reach to save it, and maybe it would have been better with a with a foot save. Where Sanchez in the in the other way that he, he was. 12 13 yards away from the ball you know give him a good chance to, to save it with his hand if he goes with it and he decides to go with his foot and it's it's too far away from him so just shows you the the fine margins and the, and the detail that goes into the decision
4: making of each save. David can I just ask you on on that De Gea save I mean it was something I think Souness or Roy Keane said in the studio that that is it's a drill that they would have seen the goalkeepers do so often those sort of near you have one shot against you and then another one very fast is that something that goalie coaches are still doing day in day out is that the bread and butter those double saves in in training
2: yeah it is and I, but i think maybe in the past it's there's been too much of a of a weight put on that i mean how many how many times in a, in a season do you make these remarkable double saves but it, it's more about being ready for the second phase from you know if if, if you've dived and a, and a shot's been deflected um, uh, or, or being or being blocked and you have to be back on your feet again. That's more what happens in games rather than the actual saves themselves. It's more about the, the the time between diving and being back on your feet again or being ready for the next action again rather than making them saves themselves. So I think that's it's something that's you know, players have GPS uh, systems and uh, packs in the back of their, their shirts now to, to measure all their different physical outputs. It's the same for goalkeepers. Goalkeepers have a different GPS system, which uh, is, which measures how quick they they recover from from being off their feet and back on their feet again. So it's like I say, it's it's more about that than making them saves themselves. But it's always about being being ready for the next phase.
1: Well, Wolves will need to get back on their feet uh, after yes another disappointing result here. Uh, the performance in terms of shots, in terms of XG, and that. It uh, looked like it was good enough to get them their first uh, points of the season, but instead, or indeed their, their first goals of the season, but instead after 57 shots so far across the matches with Spurs, Leicester and Man United, they've got absolutely zip. They've also lost their last six in the Premier League, if you go back to last season as well. Looking at the performance, are you confident that it's all going to click into place or is there a long-term problem there in, in involving personnel or something?
3: I mean they they, they are shorn of, of personnel. I think it will take Raul Jimenez a while to, to get back to if not full speed because he's not you know, he's not a speedy striker, that's not his game, but kind of psychologically I think more than anything get, you know, ready and he you know, I think Jamie Carragher said on commentary he'll need or it might have been Tyler, but he'll need a goal and maybe a headed goal to, to feel comfortable and I think there's probably logic to that. The loss of Pedro Neto is absolutely massive for Wolves because it is at times watching them it's it's almost comical when he does it successfully but it almost is we defend, we give the ball to Adama Triori and we, we hope he creates a chance for Raul Jimenez um, th- that is almost what it feels like and they've done it pretty successfully because as you say they've had 57 shots but their shot conversion has been poor, there was a chance for Chincao that the ball came across him in the box and you just th- you know, from what, going on from what David said, if that's Mason Greenwood in the penalty area he, he cuts through the ball and probably puts it in the bottom corner rather than kind of scuffing it wide and they just need something to get them going. I think they'll be okay this season because you know, like Brighton last season, there becomes a kind of critical mass theory to this where you have an, enough shots and create enough chances that eventually you you do score enough goals to to win games and get points. but I'm sure that Bruno Lars will be tearing his hair out over the international break.:
2: I think it's probably, it's probably a good time to, to mention the new signing, Wang Hechun. He, he's somebody who who will bring a lot, I think, to the uh, to, to wolves. He's a kind of player that they don't have. He, he, He's far from prolific when it comes to goals. He's had one good season where he's, he's had 11 goals and, and 12 assists at Salzburg. But he's somebody I think he'll adjust really well to, to the Premier League. Uh, physically, he's a strong runner. Upper body, he's, he, he's so good at um, drawing physical contact from behind and, and, and rolling players in a similar way to... Um, to Lukaku, really even though he's a, he's a different stature obviously but um I can see him playing on the right uh, on the left hand side he's very good at chopping in from the from the left with his left foot and coming into his right uh, on his right foot and um and, and scoring from there so I think thats um it could be a, a problem solver for wolves
1: well he was paraded at molyneux before uh, the uh, kickoff against man United uh Wang uh, comfortably the biggest transfer move of the week. In second place though is Cristiano Ronaldo's return to Old Trafford, which caught many of us by surprise, not Adam Crafton though who was all over it and we'll uh, we'll hear more about that next.
0: Ah, the summer was fun, wasn't it? No allegiances, everyone getting behind England, three lions being sung everywhere. But, now the Premier League is back Get Grealish off the bench Ah, he can stay on it at City Pickford might have been a safe pair of hands Now he's just a pair And enough of Jules Rimet dreaming Now it's our turn to dream So kiss goodbye to that vomit-inducing unity And welcome back proper football Let's celebrate flair on the grass Not a flare up (coughs) the... Paddy power! 18plusbgumbaloair.org This is the Totally
5: Football Show Part of the Athletic Podcast Network the Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pearce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around.
0: Ronaldo again.
1: Ronaldo, listener, on the way back to Old Trafford. He had seemed set to join neighbours Manchester City, but instead he's back with the Red Devils. And we're full of questions. Was the city interest real? How did United, who usually do transfers with the speed of a lazy glacier, get this one in so quickly? And also, 12 years on, what Ronaldo exactly are United going to be getting? All right, I think we're joined by James Horncastle. Hello. Ah, there he is. Hello, James of course, has uh, been watching more recent Ronaldo action and can give us a perspective on how and how well Ronaldo is going to work for the Red Devils. But first of all, Adam Crafton, the city interest, was it real and how did United get the deal done so swiftly?
4: Yeah, I mean, it, it absolutely was real. Um, it's very strange because I think throughout most of this summer, most clubs across Europe have had an idea that Cristiano Ronaldo is not is not... hadn't been delighted with life at Juventus and may have been looking for a way out. I mean he did he'd come back for pre-season, he did his medical, and at least outwardly, Juventus weren't suggesting they were looking to sell him. But Ronaldo started making attempts to get out of the club and certainly his agent, George Mendes, made Real Madrid aware that he'd be open to return, and Florentino Perez didn't want to do that because he wants to sign Kylian Mbappe. And that sort of whole Episode culminated in the manager Carlo Ancelotti going on Twitter to distance himself from signing Cristiano Ronaldo, which was all a bit unedifying for, for everyone, really. And then they offered him to PSG, I believe, and PSG also uh, weren't going to bite. And then Manchester City came along. Um, and actually, as far as I know, over 10 days ago, City were offered Ronaldo, and initially they said no, because, well, or at least they made, they made clear that He wasn't a priority or he wasn't an initial target because they thought they could still get Harry Kane. And it was only really the start of the week that's just gone where Ronaldo to City became a real possibility because the Kane transfer had completely fallen through. Kane had publicly said he was staying at Tottenham. And then it just became for Manchester City, well, can we get someone in who's going to give us a guarantee of goals? And those conversations escalated with with George Mendes. um, Pep Guardiola spoke to Cristiano Ronaldo despite by all accounts having pretty much ruled the move out a week earlier so City had did this u-turn that put them into a position where they were absolutely going to sign Cristiano Ronaldo as of Thursday night you know it was as close to being you know over the line as it could be um, without things being signed and then as of Thursday night, Manchester United got involved and I think the thing which we'll, we, we still don't really know is Did Manchester United get involved because they really want to sign Cristiano Ronaldo, the footballer? Or did Manchester United get involved because the prospect of Manchester City having Cristiano Ronaldo was just too unpalatable? And increasingly, I do think it's the latter. I don't think that necessarily makes it wrong as a decision. But what was it that kick-started United to move so fast? Well, it was Manchester City being in. And I suppose the counterpoint is... Was this awesome grand master plan by Ronaldo and George Mendes to, to smoke out Manchester United by making them terrified he was going to join Manchester City? I, I, or, I don't think that's
1: the case. Or was it a, a master plan by Guardiola to pretend to be interested, to, to con <laughs> United into bringing back this 36-year-old for, for a little bit of reheated
4: soup? And what and what is remarkable, you know, just on that that sort of business of sport agent level, is George Mendes has big clients at Manchester City like Ruben Diaz and João Cancelo, uh, Bernardo Silva, Edison. He has very good relationships at Manchester City. It would be a very strange thing for him to really play a game like that with you know one of his most important one of his most important clubs really. Um, so, so that would surprise me, but it got to the point where Thursday night you have, by all accounts, Rio Ferdinand, Patrice Evra, Sir Alex Ferguson, Bruno Fernandez. I'm um, not sure Ole and Solskjaer got involved at any point, but um, those four certainly did. And then I'm sure Solskjaer did as well um, throughout the night. And, and United did just launch this charm offensive. And, and by you know, late Friday morning, by the time Ole Gunnar Solskjaer went into his press conference Friday morning... United knew they were going to be signing Cristiano Ronaldo Um, and it was remarkable. It was almost this 12-hour blitz that turned it around.
1: Mm. Well, back in his United days, he was the last player from the Premier League to win the Ballon d'Or and everyone's had a fine old time posting clips from back in the day. But now, at the age of 36, will he be any good for them? James Horncastle, having seen him in action over the last three seasons at Juventus... The numbers are really interesting. As a team, even though he was scoring loads, their total goals as a team went down dramatically, about 20 goals a season with him in the side.
6: Yeah, and games increasingly were defined by whether or not Cristiano decided them or not, um, rather than what everybody else was doing. And certainly you saw at some stages last, uh, last season on the Pirlo, I think one of the frustrating things was that there'd be other players in really good positions Uh, to score, and I remember Morata doing this, for example, rather than take the shot himself, he would look up and he'd try and play a pass to Ronaldo and the chance was gone. Uh, And and that happened uh, a lot at Juventus. And I I, I think United fans are going to have to, it is a different Ronaldo who needs a different system around him, different personnel around him to the one that they had before. He's not someone I think who can necessarily be the system himself and take everyone on, um, because at 36 he has had to change his game. There's this feeling that he is now a centre forward. He never played centre forward at Juventus. He had to play out wide on the left wing because that's where the space is. So I, I, I think it's it's going to be fascinating to see you know him play on that side for United. I think uh, who makes way for him, and you know Pogba plays behind him. Yeah, I mean, how's that going to impact on Pogba's game? Um, because United will need some ballast in midfield, I think, to be able to play Cristiano. And at the moment, a few days from the transfer window ending, I don't see it. And of course, they've gone and spent this kind of extra budget on on Cristiano. So I don't, I don't anticipate them signing a number six between now and Tuesday. Daniel. Yeah, I'm.
3: I'm, I'm kind of torn between two complete extremes both of which are pretty obvious. But the first is that the sheer weight of personality and history and the fact that Manchester United's attacking strategy at times does appear to be, we've got the better individuals than you. And as long as we stay in the game, eventually one of those individuals or multiple of those individuals will connect together and therefore we'll score more goals than you. And that that was basically how it was at, at, at Wolves on, on Sunday. Uh, and the alternative is pretty similar to what James says which is that there is a, a concern that he will expect to start every week whereas actually you know Solskjaer is, is a is a strong enough character to use him as a as a Champions League player and as a mentor in the squad and you know bring him off on the bench kind of in the same way that Ibrahimovic I guess was used as a, as a United player then it can be very successful and Ibrahimovic left with his reputation amongst United fans enhanced no doubt but it's very hard to do that because because of that history that weighs him to the club and because they will expect him to play, or he will expect to play every week and he will expect to continue his record of scoring 20 goals in a season. You know, Does he take free kicks and penalties off Bruno Fernandes? Does he demand to be used in a certain role? Does he stop Mason Greenwood getting minutes? I can see why an excited Manchester United fan thinks, well, yeah, fine, but I'm parking all that because Ronaldo's back at my club that does make a difference to how this season goes. And Solskjaer is many things, but it's a huge ask of him as a a personality manager to manage this situation because they've effectively got nine players plus for three positions up front and three players max for two positions in midfield. And it's really hard to make that work.
1: It's a Galactico signing, essentially. I mean, great fun for everybody, but tactically what you're saying is it doesn't...
3: I mean, I go back back to exactly what Adam said. It's a can we make this signing, not a do we need to make this signing. Um, and mm. they could, and they learnt they could, and probably as Adam said, more importantly, they learnt that it could stop City doing it. So they thought this is a no-brainer. But a club that has long-term planning in place spends that money, or would have already have spent that money on a on a brilliant holding midfielder. I think. Hmm.
2: I don't know whether I'm making the right correlation here, but I think we're probably asking Solskjaer to be a bit of a Phil Jackson, what he did with Michael Jordan. Try and make him open up to the, you know, be more of a team player than everything has to be centred around him. But then I think about a little bit more and maybe he's, there's more of a comparison with Kobe Bryant than there is with Michael Jordan.
6: I just don't see how this works for uh, Solskjaer. It was really interesting listening to him talk on the, on the day that the, the deal was happening because you know, he was you know, obviously a teammate of his and was uh, yeah, excited about the prospect of signing him. But I th- all I think it does is just add to the pressure on him, which is already considerable. Um, I mentioned that instability, Juventus. They had, a, they had a coach who'd won the league five seasons in a row, got them to two Champions League finals. He was out the door at the end of the first year of Cristiano. Sarri sacked, sacked Pilo. That was a club that had a lot of stability. Now, Solskjaer seems to do just about enough every season to stay in the job. But I, I, I do think this will only magnify the shortcomings people see, at least when measuring him against the guys he's supposed to be competing against, Tuchel, Klopp, Guardiola. So I don't think you can change Cristiano at 36. I think he is who he is. It's like a cyclist in the Tour de France for me, uh, you know, a guy who's, who's trying to win the kind of yellow jersey in that the team has to do all the job for him to get – what he wants and whether those things always align. And of course they should align because Cristiano wants to win a Champions League. I'm sure Manchester United want to win the Champions League. But one of the things that appealed to Cristiano about City was, you know, Messi's gone to PSG. He will likely add to his legacy and win another Champions League. The only other team I can go to who can guarantee me that is City. Can United? I mean, United have got a a, a very, very talented squad, but I don't think they're close to that yet. And I, I, don't, think, I don't think Cristiano gets them closer to winning the, the Premier League um, at this moment. I think there are still things that United need to do to make this team more competitive, whether it's who's, who's making the decisions in the dugout or whether it's a, a number six or a right back. You know, those mm-hmm. things.
1: OK. So, Adam, do you, would you agree that this doesn't leave them closer to the Premier League title?
4: No, I, I disagree. Um, I'm, going to be, I'm going to be a bit uh, more optimistic than we've been for the last 10 minutes about this. Um, I, I actually think, I totally understand why United have done this. And it, as I said at the start, even if the motivation for this was to stop Manchester City from doing it, I still think that's the right thing. Because if you let Manchester City get Cristiano, I think that all but guarantees that City would have won the title this season. Or I mean certainly it would have dragged them a long way away from United um, just because of that extra 25 30 goals on top of what city already score anyway I think that difference would, would have would have been there um, as for United, I think you know I think you have to take this summer into it's not just Cristiano, it's also rafael Varan, Jaden Sancho, Cristiano you can you know keeping Paul Popper it looks like, um, which certainly wasn't the, I mean that wasn't the expectation two weeks ago. Never mind at the start of the summer, uh, and I think one of the one of the oddities is actually that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is en- keeps ending up with having really these talented players in this squad that he didn't really plan for, because even if you go back a year ago, the expectation I think within the club was that Paul Popper wouldn't be at the club by now, because you know, the more more I think about it, the more that's what I attribute the Donny Van Der Beek signing for, because you know clearly there, there wasn't a plan for. Van der Beek, Fernandez, and Pogba all to coexist together. So he's ended up with Pogba staying. We don't know what's going to happen with him yet. I mean, that could still be a live situation if the Mbappe to Real Madrid transfer happens uh, before Tuesday. So United have all these different talented players that all of a sudden he's got to fit into the squad. And I think actually, Ronaldo's main competitor for a position in the team is probably Cavani because they're essentially performing the same function, which is this box striker, as far as far which is the way that Solskjaer has described it tonight, he wants someone in the penalty box who can bring him goals. Well, that was meant to be Cavani's job, and he was doing it pretty well towards the end of the season. So there is this crossover, but at the same time, I still think it was the right thing for United to do. And I, and I do think it it helps the sort of trajectory that Solskjaer has, has brought the club on over the past couple of years. There's momentum and a positive atmosphere around the place. It is now up to him to find a way to make it work in terms of a system. It feels like you're starting again slightly with a blank piece of paper and saying, come up with a formula, but I still think it's the right thing that they've signed him.
1: Huge excitement. We've got lots of other things to discuss. We've got Arsenal to be rude about. So let's just get a final word for now on the Ronaldo situation from from David and James.
6: I think it's an emotion-driven decision. And I think in football, in business, the best decisions are when you take emotion out of them and you coldly analyze whether this is, is right for more reasons than Man City, we're going to get this player. You know, I imagine Solskjaer will still be in a job in a year's time, two years' time, but if he's not...
1: It'll be Aussie idealist pro- by then, I think.
6: <laughs> I think it, it, it's maybe a problem for the next manager in in the same way that it was for, uh, for Sarri in the same way it was for Pirlo. Uh, and I think the the difference for me between Cavani and, and, and Ronaldo, and maybe this is a provocation, I think you ever feel like you're playing down to 10 men when you've got Cavani on the pitch, Oof. which is, is, is often, often the feeling that you had over the last year or two with Cristiano because the cohesiveness was not there.
5: Mm.
1: David, can I just finish off with a, a quick question to you, which is there have been various people suggesting that quite apart from what he offers in terms of goals and play on the field, Ronaldo will bring something almost beyond price in terms of the example that he sets for the younger players the influence that he will have the change he will wreak on their mentality do you buy into that or is that just something people say about footballers who haven't been a footballer?
2: No, I I definitely agree with that I think there's a a big wow factor to having somebody like that in the dressing room especially for the younger players for Mason Greenwood who, what was it being 12 years ago he's not the double figures in age so, you know, for him, it's almost like a mythical figure coming into the dressing room. And and also on top of that, you've got his, his, his work ethic. You can say many things about Ronaldo, but the way that he's worked and, and his craft and got where he is because of that, you know, it's, it, it's only going to inspire people. And, and I think that he doesn't have to say anything to try and raise standards. People are going to do that because they want to impress him. They want to, to prove to them that they're, they're good footballers. And, um, yeah, I, th- I think from that, it might be expensive example to set, but it's it's certainly going to do it for the rest of the players in the dressing room. And also, mm-hmm. you know, we talk about players who, like Paul Pogba, who are a little bit sort of, um, a little bit maverick themselves. If we're talking about him needing a little bit of discipline in in his player and, and, and not just doing what he wants on occasion, maybe Ronaldo's the man to do that.
1: Nice. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, the international break awaits after which... Newcastle will be Man United's first opponents with Ronaldo on their books again. Uh, very good. We'll move back on then to the weekend's action. James, thank you so much for being with us. And we'll catch up with you and more reaction from Italy in Tuesday's Totally Football show.
6: Yeah, if you thought I was negative about Ronaldo, you can only imagine <laughs> what I think about Arsenal. Uh, but anyway, right. uh, I'll leave you to it.
1: I, th- I thought you were going to say about Juventus, who in their first game without Ronaldo, promptly lost 1-0 to promoted Empoli. But that's the subject for Tuesday's Totally Football Show. After this, we're on to Man City, Arsenal.
0: This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences, like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Rexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu.
5: You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. With Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. Think of it as your protection against Arsenal doing an Arsenal. And in the words of Jennifer Aniston, here comes the science bit. Pre-match bet builders only. Get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum 4 plus legs. Max free bet is £10. Enhanced match odds are not included. Online exclusives only. T's and C's apply. And please be gamblerware.org.
2: Mares Torres!
6: the answers lie within
1: alright then Adam Crafton uh, Man City didn't get Messi because they were busy signing Harry Kane oh, but, oh hang on then they didn't get Harry Kane so they tried to get Ronaldo but they didn't get him either so is there uh, something that they're going to do before Tuesday night or actually having seen them just put five goals past Arsenal are they absolutely fine as they are thank you very much
4: I still think if something comes up that they think is you know is right for them then I think they'll do it um, you know, Pep has clearly wanted an extra body up there, you know, for much of the summer. And and you know, and if Gabi Gabi Jesus was to get a serious injury, then they really would be, you know, down in terms of num- just in terms of numbers. I know they have a number of players who can play as false nines, and we know Pep's dreamed for so many years to play only with midfield players. Um, but I think if something comes up for them, or if someone like um, Vlavich at Fiorentina if there was to be some sort of compromise that can be struck in terms of a transfer fee, perhaps slightly lower demands from Fiorentina, maybe that's one that could be revived. I know a few people have mentioned Lewandowski. I'd be, a, I'd be staggered if that was to happen in this window. Um, you know, Bayern, I don't think, want to sell and um, aren't under pressure to sell. I think it would only be if you know if City came in with a really crazy offer. I, I mean, there's a chance that Erling Haaland becomes in play in the final 48 hours just because if Mbappe happens and there could be this chain reaction of all of a sudden PSG think we need to go and get someone and who's the nearest thing to Mbappe? It's Haaland. Um, my understanding is Dortmund don't want to do that deal. Obviously, obviously, there's a clause you know, that's next summer, but equally they are a PLC and if an offer comes in that's really, really stupid, um, they'll be obliged to listen to it. But the good you know, news is that
1: PSG and Haaland have, have such great <laughs> relationship,
4: don't they? Exactly. I mean, the latest I was told by good PSG source on Sunday was that to not expect uh, Haaland to happen. But there have been reports okay. elsewhere that Mino Raiola, um, Haaland's agent, is interested in trying to make that happen. Um, so I just think it's one that's worth monitoring because if if PSG were to come in, then you know maybe Man City think well we have to react to that. Um, so there's a possible chain thing, but as things stand, it doesn't look like City are going to do something.
1: Okay. well, Saturday they met up with Arsenal, who are the, extraordinarily enough, biggest spenders of the summer from the Premier League, at least in terms of transfer uh, fees, not that it helped them very much, at the Etihad, 5-0 to Pep Guardiola's side, sort of mismatch game, getting back to the football here, that they kind of should have pre-qualifying to avoid, maybe
3: yeah it was a i mean i don't know how many times over the last couple of years i've said this but it was a, a greatest hits of arsenal's calamities you know it, it it isn't just about individuals and it sometimes feels unfair to kind of pick them out uh, he says before immediately beginning to do that but they spent 170 million pounds on on centre-backs since callum chambers made his debut for example and I don't think Arsenal. You know, he was very highly rated. He suffered a couple of bad injuries, but I don't think there's many Arsenal fans who would say that he's improved rapidly since that debut and since he he made you know played for England. Uh, and yet he starts alongside Sir Kalasenach. And the the cliche is that football's no fun if you don't know what the result's going to be. Actually, if you had no you know you had no dog in the fight, we knew exactly what the result was going to be on Saturday in that first 15 minutes, and that's exactly how it happened. And it was still. Kind of mesmeric to watch because it was so awful from Arsenal's point of view, and then and of course Granite Jacker, who f- three weeks ago everyone thought was going to be or four or five weeks ago everyone thought was going to be sold to Roma, is not only brought back into the fold but does a Granite Jacker, which is dives into a challenge that was a red card immediately, expresses disbelief that it was a red card, and then is then patted on the back by Mikel Arteta as if to say "hard luck, pal" as he walks off the pitch having cost Arsenal what little to no chance they already had in the game it was yeah it was it was it was absolutely dismal and a kind of fair play I think to the Arsenal fans who who stuck it out because you know that isn't a fun way to spend your Saturday after a long train journey.
1: Granted Shaka like um, Cristiano Ronaldo making you feel often like you're playing with with 10 men yeah it's their third 5-0 win in a row at home but despite all of that Arsenal's awfulness manages to really steal the show The numbers are pretty chilling in fact Bottom of the table uh, It's the first time in 67 years that Arsenal have begun the season with three league defeats out of three It's the first time in 68 years that they failed to score in their opening three matches of a league season It's the lowest recorded possession they've ever had in a Premier League match since Optus started recording this data in 2003 They only had one shot that's their lowest ever similarly in a Premier League match Rodri Completed more passes in the game than every single Arsenal outfield starter combined. Oh, this from Duncan Alexander. They're currently worse in all manner of metrics than Derby 0708, and we all know how that finished. Crikey! Everyone saw probably uh, Meza Urzal's tweet. Trust the process. Uh, how are we on the process? Just for anyone who's come late to this story, what is the process that we're we're trusting? in Arsenal's case. What, what exactly are we working towards? What, what have you seen? What, what's developing there? Yeah, me neither.
2: <laughs> when you talk about process, you're looking for progress. And I think, you know, if, if you look at some like Graham Potter... He clearly has processes that he, he works through when he goes to a, a new side and he sees improvements, you know, even last year, even the football they play, they still um, limit opportunities to the opposition. I think they were second in XG conceded last season. So there is obviously evidence there that something's working. Now, when you come to trust the process with Arsenal... You have to question what the process is. Now you've got to give you give them a little bit of leeway. A lot of the money that was spent in the summer and last season wasn't on the pitch and hasn't been on the pitch this season for various reasons. So you have to give them um you have to give them that. But it's okay saying trust the process. But if the process includes you two-nil down and still sort of going with the same process and the same way of playing, and rather than adjusting to what the game asks of you, then it's It's kind of looking at it thinking, well, is there any process at all? There's got to be lots of question marks against Arteta simply because it's okay saying that they haven't got all that talent on the pitch, but you work with what you've got and then Mm. you adjust
1: to the situation. Accentuating the frustration for Arsenal supporters is the fact that this is a club that did used to at least compete, put up a fight themselves against the bigger sides. They beat City two seasons back in their cup run and Chelsea too. But this time around, against those opponents, looked miles off it. What do you think? Is there any likelihood? Are Arsenal considering a change and might it be imminent?
4: Um, Not as far as I'm aware. Um, You know, they've gone all in on Mikel Arteta. and uh, If they were to do it now, I mean, having just let him spend... well, Is it still more than Manchester United in terms of transfer fees this summer, I think? and obviously that's a very different story when you start analysing wages, of course, but having allowed him to you know, to be a big part of those decisions, having changed him from being head coach to manager last season, I mean, what would it then say if all of a sudden three games into the new season they just pull the plug on it? Um, equally, I'm not seeing very much at all to tell me that he's going to make things considerably better. And I think the particularly dispiriting thing for Arsenal fans is they were never even in those games against City or Chelsea. You know, it, they were over in fifteen minutes. You know, the Arsenal guys who cover the club on the athletic for us, like David Ornstein and James McNicholas, who are incredibly well connected. They've not written anything, you know, over the past week or so to suggest that Artessa's job is on the line. Obviously, you cannot go on bottom of the table, losing matches. And I think that there's a there's a North London derby coming. Um, at the back end of September I think they've got a couple of easier games before than Norwich and Burnley but even those you know you start thinking well, if they go a goal down in, against Norwich at home in two weeks time what's the atmosphere going to be like but I do think that that North London derby probably has the capacity to be a flick switch and that's not based on any kind of information it's just the pure logic that Arsenal cannot go on losing football matches
1: or can they Uh, very good next up events at anfield saturday tea time when title rivals liverpool and chelsea faced off
0: looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. On Apple Podcasts,
5: Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson.
1: Liverpool one, Chelsea one, Saturday. A brilliant first half. The second half had less spectacle than, well, a bit like the manager's face uh, than than we'd grown accustomed to. Havertz had opened the scoring with that insouciant flick off the back of his head, the Chicharito style, possibly a bit jammy, I'm not sure. You'll have a view on that. Uh, but then the first half came to a conclusion with uh, Rhys James handling Sadio Mane's shot on the line, getting sent off, and Mo Salah equalising from the spot. What conclusions would you like to draw from this game?
3: I think credit goes to, to Thomas Tuchel for not just the way in which he, he changed Chelsea's approach completely at half time and, and brought off arguably the best central midfielder in the world, N'Golo Kante, and the goal scorer from the first half. Um, very brave to be pragmatic and sit back and just effectively play Liverpool at arm's length, which they they pretty much did, despite Liverpool dominating possession and having more shots. Edward Mendy didn't really make a a brilliant save in the second half. But also, I think, just for calming everyone down, because not only did Reese James get sent off, but two Chelsea players got booked for, for arguing with the referee after that, and they looked so fired up. And it must be very hard. I can imagine it being very hard for a manager to go into a dressing room when everyone is so clearly fired up by what they perceive to be the injustice of a situation and then say, yeah, you need to forget all that because we're going to play the, the calmest, most measured, um, most pragmatic football we can in order to, to get what we came for, which is, in this match situation, a one-all draw. And they did it absolutely brilliantly. That, to me, shows a manager that has a complete aura or, or control over his players to, to kind of get them to play exactly as he envisages at half-time. And, and they did it really well.
1: What did you make of Liverpool, Adam? Uh,
4: Liverpool, I thought I thought they were lucky that, that the red card came when it came because I actually thought once it went 1 0, I thought they looked pretty ropey. And actually, I thought it was heading towards a pretty comfortable win for Chelsea. Um, I then thought they had a period just after half time, 10 15 minutes, where they really pinned back Chelsea. They had a number of shots from the distance, didn't they? Um, and then I thought they'd go on and win it, but they didn't. It was just as if Chelsea, you know, they were well organised, it was good. A really good display from them, but I'd have exp- I think Liverpool or two years ago win that match. They find a way to win that match. I was surprised he didn't bring on Thiago a little earlier than what he did. He came on pretty late in the game. You know, you're looking for someone to pick the lock. I- I've been a little bit surprised generally that you know having- I know he struggled a bit last season, but I expected him to play a bigger role at the start of this season. The fact he's you know seemingly behind Harvey Elliott, who I know is doing well, but you know Thiago is one of the best midfield players in the world um, in terms of his creativity and i felt that's what they were missing both creativity but well control in the first half against chelsea and then creativity in the second so um yeah i think liverpool i thought they were a bit lucky as well against burnley last week i thought there was a period in that game where burnley looked pretty strong so interesting mm-hmm. how they go on after the international break
2: I, I think gary neville referenced uh it was a point in the first half where I think um, Lukaku, he's rolled Matip and laid it wide, and um, Mason Mount just drags his shot left foot across the goal. And in that those moments, it was almost like that the the Anfield crowd, there was some anxiety there because they just thought, wow, the, these are a team. And I think that in the end, even though the one one man down, I think if they can they can still think themselves lucky uh, to to have even got a point out of it. You know, considering mm. you know the the game over a piece because they could have been a couple up.
3: I think the the other issue for Klopp who is insistent that Liverpool don't need to sign a, another player or another attacking player which you know it to his credit because I think we you know we all get a bit too obsessed sometimes with who's the next one in but Firmino went off injured I mean he's in poor form he didn't do anything of note he didn't have a shot he didn't create a chance in his 43 minutes but he has got a hamstring injury that he's going to have to have scanned and that leaves pretty much an automatic pick for that front three now and The Champions League rule was not kind to Liverpool in in regards to, you know, having any potential rest games or rotating players for that. So either he's gonna have to, you know, go back to to Minamino or Origi, or he's gonna have to play Curtis Jones or Harvey Elliott as a as a forward if he wants to rotate. And as I say, with Porto, Milan and Atletico Madrid, there's not gonna be any freebie games there in which he can afford to rotate the team. So at some point, yeah, something's going to have to give, I think, in terms of that Liverpool front three, because if Firmino is out for anything longer than a few weeks, surely fatigue is going to set in over the next couple of months with that Champions League group.
7: Hmm.
1: Yep, the Champions League returning very soon after the uh, the international break. In the meantime, the other team from Merseyside uh, were successful this weekend. Everton grabbing three points away at Brighton. A 2-0 victory... Uh, Demare Gray bargain of the summer by popular consent then uh, Dominic Calvert learned from the spot uh, despite the best efforts of uh, Robert Sanchez and his teammate Richarlison Uh, Everton unbeaten under Benitez who is it probably too early to say if he's winning over the the home fans I did enjoy the vignette of Richarlison getting the hump over not being allowed to take the penalty kick a la Morales and Leighton Baines back in the the day Uh, but it all ended well
3: Yes, he is one player who Adam might well know more than me, but is kind of still being linked with. You know, he had that Barcelona link last summer. He has PSG links this summer. Um, I think he is a player who quite likes being the centre of attention and actually quite often thrives being that centre of attention. But uh, I don't think he's the best penalty taker at that club. So it was it was exactly the right call from calvert lewin to take it off him. But it's interesting because he's playing as that central striker now. Everton looked brilliant down that left flank. If, if Damara Gray plays on the left and Luka Dean's behind him and then Richarlison drifts out left as well. Poor Pascal Gross on Saturday. Just I mean, he's a converted midfielder anyway, but he didn't know what had hit him. He kind of had three players on him at some points in the game. and Benitez does seem to have settled upon or found a, a, a really good good outlet there with Damari Gray to make Everton really attacking down that left flank and that's what Benitez does well he identifies something that works and he tries to exploit it to the absolute maximum to squeeze everything out of it he can and I don't know if Everton fans have won over yet but they must be slightly stubborn if they're not enjoying themselves at the moment because yes I know they they were top of the league I think after four games last season under Ancelotti and it kind of tailed off a bit but Benitez has things in his locker in terms of Pragmatism and defensive solidity that will serve Everton well this season.
1: Hmm. Everton, just on the transfer front, are in talks to sign Porto winger Luis Diaz with, it says here, James Rodriguez possibly moving the other way on loan.
4: There you go. They didn't have um, a fantastic relationship at Real Madrid. And I think really as soon as Benitez came in, I don't think it was a case of either Rodriguez saying I want to go or Benita saying I want you to go. It was almost just a sort of a mutual, I think, we will go <laughs> um, that they came to um, because he doesn't really play with that sort of traditional number 10 and I think both parties have probably just decided to cut their losses.
1: Right. I'm surprised he hasn't had more suitors, Hammers, mm. uh, But, uh, well, we'll see what happens between now and Tuesday evening. David, uh, I'll hit you with another question now. Are they doing another season? Of the magnificent behind-the-scenes TV football documentary Sunderland Till I Die,"
2: not unless they're doing a very secretive version.
1: Ah, that I don't know anything about. So, how do people at the club feel about that show?
2: Yeah, I, I think every everyone came out in a in a good light. Everyone who's still at the club, anyway, and I think that. Um, and it showed that the real stars of the club are the people who've worked there for years. It's, it's been great going back. That I'm still seeing the same faces that that worked there when when I was there twenty years ago. Same people who work in canteens at the stadium. It's um, it's been a nice piece of uh, familiarity for me just to just ease myself back in. But you know you've got people like Joyce, who's uh, who's one of the main characters, if you will, of the of the of the documentary, and. I think the I think the gaffer said this week to somebody. She she literally runs the place. She's such a big character, you know. She's like a a mother hen. Looks after all the players. She comes on the to all the away trips. Looks after all the players. You know, feeds them after games and and she kind of keeps everyone in check. So like everything you see on that on that documentary, especially with the people who work in the club, you know, that's exactly how they are.
1: Magnificent, magnificent. All right, well we're relying you for a. Our behind the scenes updates then uh, in the meantime uh, now Sunday afternoon uh, Burnley back at Turf Moor looked spirited against Leeds but only took a point. A uh, point 1-1 it finished uh, Patrick Bamford uh, with Leeds late equaliser after which he gave one of his kind of typically entertaining interviews uh, accusing Burnley's players of using Jiu Jitsu in the course of the game did you see the Jiu Jitsu
3: that's wrestling and Jiu Jitsu for now ticked off maybe Burnley are going for a sort of Olympic special <laughs> they tick off all the olympic martial arts and physical stuff. i mean
1: that's going to be special
3: ian wone and Sean Dyche on the back of a horse, horse dancing yeah that'd be nice um yeah i mean burnley were physical but i don't think anyone's surprised it's a bit of a you know it's 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 a bit trite to say it in post match interviews now i think in that the referee is there to do a job and if he doesn't believe it to be a foul and i think most of what burnley did was perfectly fair and legal and the referee saw it accordingly that that's that's the end of story really but the bigger issue for Burnley is they still can't hold on to leads. There's seventeen. Literally, or that, mm. thank well, you. they could games. in this,
1: but Bamford and, yeah. yeah, okay.
3: Um, yeah. Seven. The last seventeen games that Burnley have scored the first goal in, um, they've only taken ten points from those games, and which is the absolute antidote of what Burnley used to be. You know, Burnley used to get a lead and then sit on it and you know grind it out, particularly at home. But I don't think they've won at
1: Turf more for for a long while now and 12 games 12 games but the next visitors are Arsenal yeah. so
3: that's true a bottom of the table clash um mm. yeah they just they just look a bit short of spark at the moment Burnley and I don't know if that reflects Sean Dyches I don't know if I'm speaking out of turn to say that perhaps that reflects Sean Dyches slight disappointment the lack of investment from from the new owners because it, it does
1: just look as if it's gone a little bit stale well if it's new investment you want you can't say fairer than Leon left-back Maxwell Corney, who Burnley completed the signing of on Sunday on the Champions mm. League semi-finalists with Leon.
4: Um, it's quite an odd signing to me because they already have, I mean, they have Dwight McNeil, who is probably their, best, their most talented player, um, and Charlie Taylor down that side. I wouldn't have identified the left side as the problems area for Burnley to spend thirty million million on, having you know, not really spent very much for the last couple of years. I think Daniel was absolutely right. it's gone stale it's gone stale because you know the the starting lineup is exactly what it you know what it probably was a year to eighteen months ago i th- I think they'll do really well to stay up this year with, with mm-hmm. how stale it seems to have gone there and if you're not winning if you're not protecting Leeds and you're not winning home games as Burnley and away games won't be as easy this season as they were last season then then you've got a problem,
1: yeah. Alright, well West Ham among the clubs who were also looking to add a little bit extra and uh, on Sunday they signed Kurt Zouma uh, from Chelsea. Is that a loan or is that a permanent signing?
3: No, it's a £29.6 million pounds, uh, oh, I think. Crikey, alright.
1: Did the Palace game under- underline why that's money well spent?
3: Yeah, I think it's their problem position. I mean Craig Dawson and Angelo Bonner have, have, have overperformed I think over the last 12 months but Issa Diop seems to have fallen badly out of favour and uh, Fabian Barbueña left in the summer, so they yeah they needed someone, and Zuma is I think it's a fantastic signing for them. I know he was a little bit inconsistent at, at Chelsea, but potentially now you know West Ham's flagship centre half, um, and they've got a real spine of that team now. If you you know if you, you he, Fabianski's always reliable, and then you've got Zuma, and you've got Declan Rice, and you've got. Antonio up front there's a really good spine there and that's what David Moyes always likes a really strong spine in the team and then maybe a little bit more of a sprinkling of you know surprise factors out wide which is 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 certainly what West Ham have been doing this season yeah I mean a disappointing result the weekend but yeah has, the Zuma signing was the good news
1: of Saturday for West Ham. All right well, not a disappointing result for Crystal Palace who as we mentioned earlier got their first goals of the season in this 2-2 draw the Hammers on the score sheet through Fournals and Mikel Antonio, of course. Both Palace goals, and that's all they're scoring for this season, from the remarkable Connor Gallagher, who is on loan uh, from Chelsea at Selhurst Park. Second game in a row that he's really been their standout performer. He was kind of battling away midfield against Brentford, but this was a more spectacular uh, side to this 21-year-old. That second goal in particular, ooh.
4: He's like... I mean, this is a massive compliment. Um, I'm not sure it's mm-hmm. going to sound like one, given what he does these days. Um, he reminds me of Jimmy Bullard at his best, as sort of the, the Wigan version of Jimmy Bullard. Um, sort of hair slightly all over the place, big smile, going a bit crazy when he scores, times his runs really well, has good personality when he plays, um, and great energy. But while he reminds me of Jimmy Bullard at the moment, like, I mean, he was also making runs like Frank Lampard makes, uh, or used to make as well it did make you know it sort of instantly it's one that I'm thinking well Chelsea either have a really good player going back to them or they've got another one of those like 25 million sales in the bag for next summer
1: a lot of West Ham voices saying that they were a bit disappointed with the performance understandably 2-2 at home to Crystal Palace why are we not scoring from corners anymore what's happened to Socek why is Rice playing too far forward etc but they were top of the league the other day so let's not get too uh, down on them long way to go in this season. Instead, let's turn our thoughts to another 2-2 draw, this one between Newcastle and Southampton. Now, Newcastle were 1-0 up heading into the final 15 minutes and then the game exploding into life, Saints coming from behind twice and a 96th minute equaliser.
3: Yeah, which to be fair, is that is Southampton and Newcastle. Last season, I think Newcastle they were involved in 30 goals in the last 15 minutes of games and one of the only two teams to concede more in the last 15 minutes of games than Southampton so late goals was always going to be a thing I think but yeah I mean Newcastle will be very annoyed they didn't win the game because obviously they conceded a 96 minute penalty but boy they were testing their fans patience in the first half it's kind of become performance art those first halves at St James's at the moment because the the League Cup game against Burnley wasn't great and I mean, this. In fairness to see Bruce, he said after the game it was completely unacceptable first half performance. But boy, they had some making up to do in the second half because yeah, South I think Southampton had something like 15 shots in the first half or 14 shots in the first half, which is yeah a little bit frightening because I mean, Newcastle mm. took six points from the corresponding fixtures last year and they've only got one from the first three and they have going to go away for Ronaldo's debut at Old Trafford after the international break and it's. Yes, they could do with picking up a few points.
1: Also finishing square was Saturday's game between Aston Villa and Brentford. 1-1 the scoreline here. Even Tony with his first Premier League goal. And that was followed swiftly, though, by Emi Buendia's first strike for Villa, having moved from Norwich. Uh, Buendia, who we were saying, I think, on Thursday, that Premier League had decided that its clubs would not be sending uh, their players to international matches over the upcoming break, that were being held in the red zone, countries in in the red zone. Uh, but it now appears that Villa will have to dispatch both Buendia and uh, his fellow Emmy uh, Martinez uh, because the, I don't know. I'm not sure what's happened there. Do you know, Adam? Has, has FIFA threatened them with repercussions if they don't show up for the for their fixture with Argentina?
4: Yeah, I think FIFA presented a, a legal ruling. That means that they are within their rights to uh, insist that these players are, are released. Um, I think what you might see is some players just come to an agreement with their clubs not to go in the next few days because of the you know the quarantine rules and you know September, October, and November internationals, which you know would mean that some players just simply miss too much of the season. Um, so it's, it's a really unfortunate thing. Um, And I kind of have sympathy for everyone, but it does feel like one of those positions that the Premier League perhaps came to without actually stopping to speak to any players um, and thinking, you know, what might they think about this slightly Super League syndrome again, where clubs start making um, quite important decisions on behalf of their players and then discovering that their players won't actually go along with absolutely everything they want them to um, all the time. So I think that's what maybe happened. Um, So it's going to to be interesting because you're going to see I think certainly some of those south american players whose connection to their their country is so strong um, Mm -hmm. and representing their country is incredibly important to them um will probably dig in their dig their heels in um over the next few days i don't know about the particular views of martinez and and buendia but obviously they that would be a huge blow to aston villa if they were you know to be coming back from red zones and having to miss games because they're you know key figures at both ends of the pitch it was fantastic goal as well by one Though he had so much time to turn, swivel and shoot, um, no one really seemed to go to him. It was almost like, like like playing on PlayStation games where you accidentally make all your players run the opposite way, which gives the, the player all that time to shoot.
2: I think you've got to give a lot of credit to Matty Cash. The run he makes down the outside on the um, on the right-hand side takes both, uh, both full-back and uh, centre-half down that side as if the ball's going to be played there. And I think that um, you know that, that plays a huge part in it, and just gives them Wendy the, the, the space to to apply the finish. And it's great, it's great play for him as well because he kind of fakes to play the ball wide and then and then takes on the shot instead. But I've got another question regarding this game. Why do strikers still try and kick the ball out of a goalkeeper's hands when they're trying to kick it?
3: Why ga- they they all want to be Gary Crosby? That's why who is the, yeah, I mean,
2: even, the um, king of Gary Crosby at least that was it was sneaky it was original you know what I mean but but yeah. ever since George Best tried to do it it's it's been outlawed so why did players the, the only thing that's going to happen sounds like someone I did say, it I to you what's in what's a reserve fixture I, I, I'm going well I wish I'd done this in the past when somebody tried to do it because there's was, was plenty of players trying to do it to me I wish I just threw the ball aside and booted them up the arse
7: <laughs> because
2: that's what they deserve it's too late for regrets now, David. You'll be doing it to your mates in training if you do it now. Oh. I mean, I'm not saying that's what I'll, I'll tell my goalkeepers to do, but it's certainly a thought.
1: Excellent. Brentford yet to lose. That's 15 games now in the league unbeaten, including the playoffs from last season. Excellent stuff there for Thomas Frank and his cohorts. Norwich Leicester a 2-1 win for the Foxes. Jamie Vardy continuing to stick it to Duncan Alexander. How many goals is that now? Two. So he's only eight away from the double figures, but he's looking lively, isn't he? Any other thoughts, possibly more important thoughts, about uh, Leicester's win here at Norwich?
3: Uh, Well, for Leicester, Ricardo Pereira went off injured, which I think means we can elevate there. Injury problems to an injury crisis, particularly in defence. You know, Johnny Evans is out, we know, with a bit of a foot problem for a while. Fafana and James Justin have got fairly long roads back to recovery. Yannick Vestergaard strained a knee, I think, in training last week. Ryan Bertrand wasn't well. And Pereira went off. I mean, that is, for the start of the season, that is fairly critical. Uh, And just on Norwich, I mean, uh, it just feels like it's all happening again, doesn't it? I mean, they... The last time they were in the Premier League, they didn't manage to pick up a point from games in which they trailed. So when they conceded the first goal, they, they didn't take a point. And I know they've played good teams. and I know that they were improved against Leicester, but they have lost three games again. The good news is that they're not bottom of the Premier League because they've scored a goal and Arsenal haven't.
1: All right. And the other good news is that they're away at Arsenal after the international break. The Gunners are going to be busy, actually. They're playing everybody. Uh, then Norwich have Watford at home. Excellent. Very, very shortly, Adam gives us the lowdown on uh, the Mbappé-Madrid move. And Daniel tells us about Keith the Duck. But now it's time to get some odds from Paddy Power, for which it's over to producer
5: Charlie. Thank you, James. Hello, listener. Hope you've enjoyed the weekend. Isn't it annoying, though, when football gets in the way of all the footballers changing clubs? Carl Monaghan from Paddy Power is here with all the implications from Friday's drama... Carl, what does Ronaldo to Man United do for their prospects this season?
7: I think he enhances their prospects greatly. He adds goals, swagger and intimidation, Charlie. He's 36 but still outscored Lukaku in Serie A last season by five goals. That's the same Lukaku who went to Chelsea for 97.5 million quid. He was top scorer at the recent Euros with five goals and still as one of the best headers of a football in the world, so one can expect United to improve hugely at set pieces. New coach Eric Ramsey must be scribbling new ideas aplenty in his playbook. So much potential, as long as Cristiano himself is not allowed to take any freeze. Hashtag Rose. Ed. United Charlie are still behind City, Chelsea, and Liverpool in the Premier League betting, though. We've priced them at six to one. And Cristiano is five to one to be the league's top goal scorer, six to one to be the PFA player of the year and 16-1 to to bag another Ballon d'Or. Yeah, he might score a few
5: in the uh, Champions League as well, but I want to talk about the Europa League. I read that Leicester are the favourites. Leicester, favourites for Europe's second biggest competition. That just feels nice
7: to say. Yes Charlie, we make Leicester City and Napoli joint favourites for the Europa League so they'll get to examine each other's credentials as they were drawn together in Group C. Brendan Rodgers' men will have to get used to playing on the Sabbath but they certainly have the squad depth to go very far in this competition. The Foxes showed their effective big game mentality in last year's victorious FA Cup run. Jamie Vardy looks to have found the golden touch in front of goal again. And with the top four battle looking even tougher to infiltrate this season, Brendan Rodgers may well be targeting this comp as the rewards are huge. Elsewhere in the betting Railso well, Sociedad are sixteen to one, West Ham are the same, Lazio are twenty to one, Bayer Leverkusen are twenties two, Leon twenty five to one, PSV Eindhoven thirty threes, Rangers a fifty to one shot, and Celtic sixty six to one. You can find out these odds and more at
1: PaddyPower.com. All the Paddy Power app prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Tony Football League shows out a little bit later on on Monday. After a minute's silence, I presume, Daniel, in honour of Keith the Duck.
3: Yes, and a superb story this weekend, which very briefly involved uh, a misunderstanding, which is still being sold as a misunderstanding rather than a practical joke, I think. Um, in which a, a Wigan player announced that, that Keith had passed away and was hoping that the club and supporters would have a, a minute's applause before kick-off for him. And it later transpired that Keith was a, a pet duck rather than a, an a, a, an actual human being. But the club, in the kind of great spirit of it all, continued to go through with the request and therefore there was a... on the, the big screen at Wigan's home stadium, which I still call the JJB, although I don't think it's called that anymore... Um, mm. Yeah, had a had a, a picture of Keith the Duck with Keith R.I.P. on it.
1: Perhaps they simply believe that animal lives are worth as much, if not more, than human ones, much like a home office, of course. Also out in podcast land is the Totally Football Show. Actually, it's not out, but it will be out on Tuesday. Totally Football Show European Edition featuring that James Horncastle, Juve Meltdown and much, much more. The latest from France and Spain and Germany and Syria. at with you. Early Tuesday. Speaking of France, Adam, any latest news vis-a-vis Mbappe or any of the other hot continental transfer stories?
4: Yeah, I I think the latest on it was Real Madrid made two bids over the past week. The first was around 160 million euros. The second was a uh, 180, which brought it pretty close. Well, actually, I think actually beyond what PSG spent on him um in 2017 when they agreed to sign him initially on loan with a view to signing him for 165 million pounds um at the the time um so the idea there is that you know madrid cover the cost um of, of what psg have laid out in transfer fees as far as i know that bid has still not been formally rejected the first one was um so the second one still hasn't been rejected. My my reading is that PSG didn't want something to happen until Messi had had his moment and that they, they were really able to capitalise on that, um, which happened on on Sunday evening. Um, I think we should expect there to be more developments before Tuesday night. You know, this is still something that Real Madrid are incredibly confident will get done. I think they're getting a little bit edgy because obviously it's getting closer to the window. It's you know they've made a big song and dance this summer about you know getting all the funds together by selling players like Rafa Varane and Martin Odegaard and not buying anyone else apart from the free signing of uh, David Alaba. So you know the pressure is on Florentino Perez, but there's also pressure on PSG because there's 180 million euros on the table, um, and if they don't take it in the next two days, that goes to zero um, next summer because he'll be out of contract. So. It all comes down to what is the value to PSG of having Messi, Mbappe, and Neymar all on their books for that one season? You know, particularly ahead of Qatar twenty twenty two World Cup, can they go and win the Champions League in the same year? It do they calculate? You know, actually, that is worth more to us than one hundred eighty million because also you know everyone knows that FFP is increasingly um, unimportant, um, and, and as it happens anyway. PSG are, conf- are confident, for some very boring financial accounting reasons, that, that they will be able to comply with FFP anyway, with do it even right. without selling Mbappe. So what, I think what, it's what one. What about Real c-
1: Madrid though? How confident would they be of not just satisfying FFP, but also the Spanish league's uh, wage structure, mm. but and also the, the the very fact that they not long ago were saying that they were about to go bankrupt and they needed to bring in a European Super League to keep themselves afloat and now all of a sudden could you give us that player for £180 million how does that work is there any logic there
4: yeah um, I think on the surface it's I mean it's, it's you know, someone who was close to it the other night just said it's monopoly money that we're talking about here and, and, and it does feel a little bit like that I think what you say about Madrid is you know they haven't spent, I don't think they've spent money in terms of fees on a player since January 2020. Um, hmm. So they have gone 18 months keeping their powder dry by Real Madrid levels. Um, right. And they've brought quite a lot in. You know, they sold last summer Hakimi and uh, Reguion to Spurs. Um, so Hakimi to Inter, Reguion to Spurs. That was around 60 million. Um, they got Odegaard out for another 30 million, Varane for 40. So if you add all of that up, it does get towards what they're spending. But then how does that fit in with, I think, you know, 600 million euros build, uh sorry, investment on the stadium, the, the COVID losses that they were talking about being, you know, around 300 million, um, losses, you know, matchday income, ticketing, sponsorship that they've lost as part of that. Um, yeah, I mean, It's going to be very interesting. But I I think throughout this, their position has never been as perilous as Barcelona, for example. It's never been as unhealthy. And Perez has been you know, as strict as Real Madrid can be and as restrained as Real Madrid can be in recent times to try and put themselves in a position. And to be fair, all summer they've been saying, you know, we will make an attempt this summer to do it. And if it doesn't happen, we'll do it, you know, on a three with, I'm sure, a very handsome signing-on bonus for Mbappe next summer. I mean, for Mbappe... Yeah, if it happens for him, great. If not, I mean, he just becomes really, really rich next summer and has an amazing signing on fee and gets to play with Messi and Neymar for a year. I mean, however this turns out for Mbappe, it seems pretty good for him.
1: Does doesn't it? We'll have more on that story in Tuesday's European edition. That brings to an end today's Totally Football Show. Many, many thanks to David Priest and best of luck with Sunderland and to Adam, uh, chasing these uh, stories before Tuesday night's deadline and to Daniel getting 20 conclusions together for Monday Morning's I Uh, and uh, don't forget to catch up with our podcasts as and when they drop for now though, from all of us here it's goodbye
5: You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by Paddy Power.
7: The Athletic.